Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. Today, we're celebrating one of the Book Larder staff's favorite cookbooks of the year. We're talking about Recipes for Refuge, a book produced by the Seattle-based nonprofit Refugee Women's Alliance, also known as REWA, and its community of staff, volunteers, and clients. The book they created was a labor of love and truly a community effort, undertaken to support Rewa's capital campaign as it expands its facilities throughout the Puget Sound area. The book includes family recipes and personal stories from people from about 40 countries. They share both their heartbreaks and their triumphs, with food as a through line that connects them to home. We were delighted to welcome four contributors to the book, former Rewa staff member Ramla Ringgold Olt, volunteer Bettina Simmons-Blaine, and clients Hodan and Nini, who are just using their first names to protect their privacy. They were in conversation with the Seattle Times' Rebecca Den in the Book Larder Kitchen in November 2019. Just for ease of listening, you'll hear Rebecca's voice first, then Ramla, Bettina, Hodan, and Nini. Here's Recipes for Refuge. Thank you for coming out for this gorgeous book. I don't think I've seen so many people at an event since uh, Odalenki was in town. So this is <laughs> wonderful. The book itself is also so gorgeous. One line from it described it perfectly, and it said that the collection is stunning in its scope and breathtaking in its diversity, just like Rewa. And I'm just going to throw some questions out, and whoever wants to jump in and answer them, go ahead. But I thought to start, maybe someone could tell me about Somali rice. Tell me the story of how the book came to be. I think that's a very good question for Bettina. I'll give her an intro. Bettina heard that I had a friend who was interested in donating her time to Rewa by cooking Somali rice for us and making a house party where she would bring the rice and she would teach people how to make it and other dishes as well. And then we didn't have a location for this party to happen. And Bettina stepped in and said, that sounds like a wonderful idea. And I'll let her take it from yeah, there. And here, and here we are. So um, Rahima, who is a supporter of Rewa and a really wonderful Somali woman and her sister had offered to teach this class. So I invited people and we had this wonderful day where they taught us not only how to make Somali rice, but also sabayad and some other dishes, some shah, other things like that. And I had put together just a small recipe book of the dishes that were being made that day. And one of the people that we had invited was Leslie Miller, who is COO of Girl Friday Productions. And she said, one way we might be able to help you is with a cookbook. And we said, yes, let's make this happen. So this was a year ago, October. And we said, great, let's get going, and and here we are. They offered to do the production, the layout. We started interviewing Rewa clients and staff. We went to ESL classes 
They have these wonderful graduation parties that are potlucks with just amazing food where I got to meet these lovely ladies. And we then needed to find uh, someone to do photography. And I had a friend named Jill Rayner Holdcroft, who's a photo producer. And she put together just a stellar team of uh, food photographers, stylists, set designers, and then a portrait photographer as well. Everyone who was asked anything of this project said yes so emphatically. It's just been absolutely an amazing project. With every recipe and every story, I felt so much like I was being invited into somebody's home and felt so strongly how food is what connects us no matter where we are. And I wondered if everyone can tell me uh, who taught you how to cook. Oh, Don? Before this, my mom. Your mom. Yeah. yeah. And my mom taught me too. I was hanged before the Africa. So I cooked my brothers and sisters. I cook the dinner. I make it. My mom, they always, they say, they say, oh, you put this one, you put this one, you put this one. (laughs) (laughs) So training my mom this before. Nini? I know about how to cook mohenga from my auntie, and uh, he also likes uh, mohenga. And, and that's the fish soup, yes? Yes. Uh, it's delicious. It, it is. I saw the recipe. It looks delicious. Yeah. Uh, regarding the mohinga, Sunny Heron is here. She happens. She's my sister-in-law, and she helped us to get the measurements correct for the mohinga. I was going to ask about that yes. because if if you cook with with, uh, like you were saying, a little this, a little that. Mm-hmm. How do you turn that into a recipe in a cookbook that says a quarter teaspoon of, of this spice? A lot of visuals. Incredible <laughs> volunteers. <laughs> Incredible. So we were, we were interviewing people in ESL classes, right? The first class we went to, people were very reticent to participate initially. In many cultures, cookbooks aren't really a thing. You know, it's very much an oral history. And so we brought a cookbook. This is a cookbook. This is a recipe. And at first people were like, why would you do that? (laughs) But once people started coming to talk to us and hearing that we not only wanted to know about their culture, but about who they are and their stories, why they left where they came from and how they came here, then it was like the floodgates opened and we had a table in the the room adjacent to the party and there was a line of people coming. But we actually brought measuring spoons and cups to say, okay, are you talking about this much? Are you talking about this much? And then kind of toggled back and forth with Google images too, like this kind of chili, this kind of chili. <laughs> and then we and then we did a lot of recipe testing. We had volunteers help us sort of make sure that we got it right. I would have volunteered. <laughs> it was really fun. It was really super fun. My, my family was very excited to participate in uh, recipe testing. Reading through the stories, a lot of them are hard stories, and some are sad. And I think one even said in the story, "This, this is this is heartbreaking. This is this is a, hard, a really hard thing to go through." And I wonder if it was hard for people to share that. Why did people share their stories with you? I think that food was a very good entry into that because we started off speaking about the things that made them, reminded them of home in a positive way, and that got them talking, and we were very respectful and made sure to, to let them know you don't have to share anything with us, or you can share just as much as you're comfortable sharing. 
But because they were talking about food and home and those connections, they, they started to open up to us, and that's how we got the stories. It was a very emotional experience. There were tears on both sides of the table frequently. The stories are very harrowing and very inspiring and touching as well. It was a beautiful experience. Nini, why did you decide you wanted to tell about your story? The mohinga is a very, very famous food in my country, and I want to share other ladies. Yes. And it was so great that you did share. And then later, after you told me this, the recipe, then you also said you wanted to tell me more about your life. Yes. In 2008, I got married, and then after one man, my husband ran out because one day evening, he came to he came to my house, and on on the road, he saw the soldiers. Soldiers. Yes, soldiers, and they want to bring my they want to take my husband as a Slavery, slavery, and uh, like a border, my husband was sick and tired, and he came from his job <laughs> in the field, bed, uh, like a bedding field, like corn. We usually go the corn. And so he was and, uh, doing that work. He, he cannot, he cannot follow with them. That's why he refused. They didn't like about that. That's when he, my husband, fall down. And uh, they hit by hit legs, uh, by their legs and hits. My husband got bad being sick, and then he ran from our country. Okay, thank you After so much for sharing that. So yeah. this this is in Bur- in Burma. Uh, we are Chin. Chin, right? Yes. It's a per- persecuted people in Burma, and, and she was saying her husband was um, basically abducted and forced into slavery, working in the fields, and then beaten when he couldn't keep up. And he still has trouble with his back. In Malaysia, he cannot mm-hmm. walk up. But here, your husband is now working, I understand. That, yes, right? uh, he can walk, uh, sitting and walk. Walking. He cannot stand in long time. I see. So they were when they went to Malaysia, initially it took a, a quite a while before they were able to get refugee status and then transfer here to the U.S., be resettled to the U.S. But we're so happy that you're here. Thank you. Does anyone want to go over just what Rewa's origins are? I think it, it used to be Siwa, not Rewa. Right. It used to be Siwa. And we actually have Judy DeBarros here with us tonight. And Judy is a, the former executive director at Rewa. Judy might be able to speak best to that because she was there at the beginning. Yeah. And thank you for sharing um, and all of you. And the founding mothers of Rewa like 30 years ago would be very happy that you're doing this and carrying on the tradition of women helping women. And that was the motto of Rewa. It was founded by Southeast Asian women and it was called SIWA, Southeast Asian Women's Alliance, because that's who the refugees were at that time. And it was in the 80s. How old is It was Rewa? 34 years old. 34 85. years old. Okay. <laughs> A group of a multi-ethnic group of Vietnamese, Cambodian, Mien, Hmong, Lao, Chinese got together, and that was very unusual because all the groups were very separate at the time. 
but they got together as a multi-ethnic group and they wanted to do something to help women so that they wouldn't have to suffer what they did when they came to this country. And so the motto was women helping women. We did potlucks from the very beginning, the, the potlucks in the class, and one of the very first fundraisers for Rewa was a cooking class. Maxine Chan, who worked in the International District, helped us organize it. We did a injera, Workanishtian and made injera, and taught people. And I think we made a whopping $100 or $200, <laughs> and we thought it was really amazing at the time. But you're all really carrying on the tradition of Rewa. And it was founded by and for refugee women. Although you serve men now also? We do serve men, yes. We serve people of all ages in the family. We have a preschool program all the way through a senior lunch program, so and everything in between. Employment services, ESL classes. We have a program for survivors of domestic violence. We have work job training classes, home health care, youth, youth program, program, mental health, housing services, almost wrap around whatever someone who came comes here would need. There was one spice mix in the book that I was completely unfamiliar with, and that was the is it, is it Zawash. That's, Can someone tell me about that? It's a Somali spice mix, right? It usually has like cinnamon and cardamom. The black seed. Yeah, so there's a, um, there's a black cardamom that's yeah. often used in Hawash, and it's one of these things that is sort of the backbone of the flavor profile for Somali cooking. It has a lot of ingredients, but there are many different variations yeah. depending on the home cook as well. We have a version of it in the in the cookbook. And it was chilies just, for sure. Yeah. Good. Was one of your dishes Somali spaghetti? Uh, pasta How do soldata. you make it? Soldata. Yeah. So I make the cooking the pasta, so a little bit, not too much the cooking. The sauce, sauce that I put tomato, onion, spicy, a little bit spicy, little bit of the cilantro, then the mix it, little bit of the I the oven, then the about 15 minutes, mm-hmm. or, and then I take it, so mix it. Okay, and, and the, uh, the, the exact directions are in the cookbook, so I, I, yeah. I, I did the recipe yes. test for that one. <laughs> I actually asked one of our Somali family advocates about pasta soldata, because I just wasn't familiar with that as a Somali recipe, and she said, oh yes, th- that's always available. It's not, it's of course European influence, but at a restaurant, if you go to a, a Somali restaurant, you'll be able to go and order, if you would like, your pasta on the side of your other Somali foods. And for us, it's it's unusual. <laughs> you could have rice and pasta. And, and a banana, and right? Banana. <laughs> you always have a banana with a Somali food. Always. Pasta, rice, banana. You have bites of the banana in between, right? You eat it along with? No, but the, for the rice. Oh, okay, for the yeah. rice. Yeah. Some people do. I was really stunned by how many different cultures were represented in the book. And I tried writing some of them down, and then I ran out of room. Um, (laughs) But I'm just going to list a few. Somali, northern China, Ukraine, Vietnam, uh, Ethiopia, Thai food, El Salvador, Malaysia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Angola, Burma, the Philippines, and then I ran out of room. Syria, Iraq, Iraq. Iran, Afghanistan. Yeah, Cambodia. I think we have about 30 
And it remind me how many languages are spoken at Rewa? Currently, it's about 50, I believe. About 50 languages on staff. And we have clients who come from 70 countries around the world at this time. It varies over the years. Yeah, one of the really cool things about Rewa is they provide services in the native language of the client. So that's kind of unusual and very cool. And when you were founded, as I remember, it was almost unheard of. But it sounds like it's still an unusual path to take. It was a revolutionary idea from our founding mothers to be teaching services, providing services in the native languages of the people who needed these services. So we're very grateful for the founding mothers and that gift. We've been around for 35 years, so resettlement agencies are very familiar with us, and they will refer clients to us. Word of mouth, too, and word of mouth, for sure. And you have, you have more than one site. 10, 11 now. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the uh, photographs in the book. The portraits mm-hmm. are so lovely. And I wondered how people agreed to, to have their pictures taken and what people wanted, uh, what did you want people to know about you? From the very beginning, the vision was that we wanted to have professional photos of our, of our students and clients and staff members. But trying to figure out how that would work logistically was a big challenge, a puzzle for us. And then Bettina has a friend who is the photo producer at Nordstrom. She decided to get on board and help as a volunteer, and she was the person who connected us with many different professional photographers, one of whom ended up being the primary portrait photographer. So we had uh, Manuela in Sixing May. She did all of the portraits for us and we did two separate days of portrait shoots. And we, we knew that we had to come to the clients because you know people are very busy working several jobs often, going to English language classes. And so we did one photo shoot at International Women's Day at Rewa. Mm-hmm. And we were able to get a lot of people to come to that one but we couldn't get everybody. So we did another portrait day at Rewa SeaTac office during another graduation potluck. We just did our best to get the word out and people were really excited. And I think many people had never had a professional portrait taken or maybe a, a picture taken at all or had anyone ever asked them about their stories. And so they were, once they realized they could trust us and knew that what we wanted to do was help them have a voice, they were very excited to participate. And the portraits are so beautiful. They are beautiful. <laughs> they are. Just And those stories and portraits and are also consistent with the founding. Early on, Dorothy Cordova, who is uh, the head of the Filipino Historical Society, came and trained all of the staff and board of Rewa about the importance of storytelling. And so it was incorporated from the beginning in the ESL classes, storytelling. So it's really nice to see it come full circle. Yeah, it was kind of nice too because it was also a way to practice English. And so it was a legitimate thing for us to do to be in these ESL classes. And I wanted to add one thing about International Women's Day because every year... March 8th or 9th, right around there, it's International Women's Day, and Rewa has this wonderful party. It's just amazing, and it's open to anyone in the public. It so is so much fun. It is. Entertainment. Lots of food. Free. Yes, amazing food, amazing outfits, and really great belly dancing, henna, everything. So fun. Since we're just getting into the winter holidays, can people share if you have any holiday traditions, any foods 
that you eat? Well, one thing to know first is that right. the winter holidays are Western cultural different thing. things. Thank so you. They're holiday, right. Yes. So the, hol- the Somali holidays are different at different times. Mm-hmm. But for your uh, celebration. Um, the rice, the food, Baris? Spaghetti, sambusa. Wow, sambusa. Papaya. Yes. A lot of different things. I remember with sambusa, when you make sambusa, yeah, how many pieces do you make at a time? Oh, oh, a lot. <laughs> so many sambusas. Yeah. How, how long does that take? Um, I take a two hour. Oh, yeah. fast. Two hours fast. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's a pro. Yeah. She's a pro. Yeah. I make it with 300 a day. Yeah, and sabaya that you mentioned—that's yeah. the bread. It's almost like a chapati, and that's yeah. in the cookbook as well. Yeah, chapati. And Nini, what about you? What are your traditions? There's a lot of happy holidays. Too much in my country. <laughs> <laughs> and Nini, you sent me something during the water holidays. Oh, you tell happy, tell us a little bit about that. is very happy, excited, and really <laughs> excited, happy. We usually have April, 12 to April, 19, uh, one week, almost one week. One week of holiday celebration. And it's yes. water, right? You spray yes, water. Water, because uh, that season is so hot. <laughs> and uh, we change the new year, right? We have the grandma, grandpa, like this, uh, auntie. We pray to them. And uh, we give uh, full clothes and uh, my water and the flowers and the food like this. We made, we made the food is um, by the rice and uh, like uh, sugar. Sugar? Uh, sugar and um, coconut, maybe four or five kinds of the food. The book is to benefit Rewa. Can you tell us what the proceeds are going to be used for? The proceeds are going toward the capital campaign, the very tail end of the capital campaign. There's a little bit more to raise. The capital campaign was a $6.4 million project to add on to the headquarters building. That construction project was completed early this year. It added a preschool location at Rewa at the headquarters. So that was a third preschool location at that point. We also added a gathering hall for celebrations and for much larger events and a teen resource center. In addition, it helped it make it possible for us to reorganize the, um, the layout of the headquarters so that it made more sense. Um, so. It was a bit of a rabbit warren. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. And if you, if you come to International Women's Day, you'll get to see the beautiful new gathering hall, which is such a gift for the whole community. So we have so many people, I feel like we should move to questions sure. soon, but um, is there anything I'm not asking that you want to make sure people know? Nini and Hodan, is there anything you want America to know, Seattle to know? <laughs> <laughs> I like the landscape in uh, Seattle. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And the uh, weather is very fine. <laughs> <laughs> do you have something special to, to say or to share? So I like the, the people. The people. The people, yeah. the people yeah. like yeah. you too, Hodan. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, like, I like the people. Um, most of the people are yeah. friends here. Nice. We asked you who taught you how to cook, so let us just say thank you for teaching us how to cook. We can't wait to try the recipes. 
and I'm going to open it up to our audience questions. What is your favorite cookbook besides, like, mm. hopefully this one? <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing is, for Hodan and Nini, they told us that they didn't use cookbooks. They right. had never seen a cookbook. And Karen, who's sitting right behind you, does a lesson sometimes with, with students about cooking, and it's always... The process that Bettina described, where we brought in uh, measuring cups and measuring spoons, she said that that's always an unusual activity for the students because they don't use cookbooks. Mm -hmm. For me, I think my favorite cookbook at this point now is Recipes for Refuge. And it, <laughs> it happens that um, my mo own mother is an immigrant from Malaysia, and I was able to get recipes from her that I had not had actually written down before. So now I've got those, and so it's a big treasure. And I also was able to share her journey story. So it's one of the journey stories in the book, and that was also special. I was looking at the Rewa website, and I saw one of your frequently asked questions was, what can I do to help? Mm -hmm. And obviously there's the cookbook, but I was really struck that you said you can contact your representative and say, I support refugees. That's very important right now. So thank you for bringing that up. Yes, if you go to our website, there is more information about how to do that if you're unfamiliar with contacting the representatives. And there are other ways to help as well. Thank you so much for it. Thank you. Thank you to Ramla Ringgold-Olt, Bettina Simmons-Blaine, and especially to Hodan and Nini for sharing their stories with us. Thank you also to Rebecca Den for leading the conversation. To learn more about Rewa and support their projects, visit rewa.org. That's R-E-W-A dot org. And as always, you can get 10% off a copy of Recipes for Refuge and any other books featured on Booklarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. We have signed copies of many of the featured books that you've heard on the podcast, so get one of those while they last. And if you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review to help others find us. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, please visit us at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Laura Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.